So for those of you who joined us after the sit started, tonight is going to be a discussion night. I'm going to uh, go over a little bit of what I talked about. I know last week Tim was here and he talked also. I'm going to go over what I kind of talked about two weeks ago and, and then uh, add a little bit. And then we'll take a break and have a little discussion about it. So first let me talk a little bit about generosity. During the break, those of you that are in the hall, you can um, look at this board over here that kind of puts all of the, we're going over the paramis this year, and it puts the paramis in perspective, and if you're online, you can always look at the, um, online, there's a page for um, the annual teachings that we're going to have this year. Same thing. We're talking about generosity. And uh, I, I introduced three Pali words. And sometimes it's a little awkward to think about Pali words. Oh my God, Edmund T is like a little, little bear there, <laughs> little doggy. <laughs> I'm just having a moment, that's all. <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> anyway, so... Sometimes it's hard to uh, learn Pali words. We don't really want to. I mean, it's not like we're that much of a bilingual country unless you learned it from when you were a kid. Most of us just know English. But Pali is a different dynamic than English. And so sometimes learning some of these Pali words help us realize, takes the flatness out of some of our English words. Because much of English is spoken in nouns. It's spoken in thingness. It's a this. So generosity is a this. And it all gets smushed down into one opinion about whether or not you are generous, you give enough, or something like that. But generosity in Pali, in Buddha's language, was much broader of an understanding than that. And so to really practice with generosity, you need a more expanded, wider view of understanding what it is that we're practicing with. We're not practicing with whether you give enough. That's not really what this is all about. And so for this month, we're trying to look at this first parami, and the parami is this perfection, this inner, it's almost like a tuning fork. If you've ever really heard a tuning fork, or if you've gone to a symphony and you've listened to the first violinist play that A sound, and then everybody begins to tune their instrument to that A. These paramis are like that. They're like uh, an understanding of a word or a concept that we then tune our inner outer relationship with it. And so there's three words that make up this idea of generosity. One is dana, we use that a lot. One is chaga, and one is upadi. And those are the three words I brought in uh, a couple weeks ago. 
So I'm just going to give you a little framing. If you, you can hear more about it if you look at the talk online, but I want to give you a little framing about the difference in these three. So this dana, we usually think of it as what the gifts that you offer teachers, monastics, the gifts that you offer the sangha to ensure that the sangha is here, which is true. And there is a, a this, this noun way we could look at it is, do you give to the sangha? Do you give to teachers? Do you support monastics? Look at it that way. But in Pali, the words, from what I understand, are more like verbs. So it is the action of giving. It is actually comma. We think of, you know, in English, we've kind of taken comma as, you know, you get what you sow. You know, if you mess up, you're going to get it coming right back at you. We get this kind of way that we talk about comma like it's your fault. That's what you get. That kind of energy. But comma is not, it's not this kind of negative, uh, pointing against you. It's just action. All action carries an energy to it. So all action is energetic in its nature, both physically and subtly. And, and because it has an energetic nature, it also has a uh, turnaround. It's part of this uh, Sending out and coming back and sending out and coming back. And what we send out in the world is what we get back. This kind of um, uh, ebb and flow that happens with all action. So another, it, it, it does have a, what you, um, what you sow is what you get. It does have that kind of a feel to it. But it's not just the negative side of it. It means that if we start sending out goodness in the world, we get back goodness. It just comes to us, not because we are such good people, but if you send that kind of energy out in the world, that energy comes back to you. And so, dana is this uh, verb of giving, just the nature of it, just this giving, giving, giving. And it's the giving of what we consider our stuff. So we give our finances, our time, our energy, our resources, we give and send it out into the world. And then it comes back to us uh, equally as we give. We give, it comes back. We give, it comes back. And that's this kind of uh, reciprocal relationship that happens with this act of giving material uh, gifts. Dana, that's what that is. So you can see, the more you practice giving from this uh, open-heartedness, then the more that giving, this open-hearted energy begins to come our way. And the more we begin to hold things in, tightly wound, uh, protective energy, the more um, challenged we get by uh, this constant need to protect our stuff. Which goes to, so you can think of the dana also on the manifest level, earthy level, this ordinary level of giving. 
we'd go a little subtler. This is this chaga, and chaga is a, um, it's more subtle than the material level of giving. It's a more subtle releasing, and what you're releasing is not a thing, but you're releasing the verb that you're giving or letting go of is your ownership. This idea that I got my stuff, you got your stuff. Um, if you grow up in a big family, you can really begin to see this. Because most of us that grew up in big families, the only one that ever got their own clothes was the first. And everybody else got a tweaking of that clothes that the first person had. But the first person couldn't claim it as, oh, this is my clothes, right? Because it was only yours temporarily. And then depending on how big your extended family was, my kids' clothes went to my nephew's clothes, nephews, nieces, and then their kids, and you always saved everything and passed it around. So there was this constant... Um, this constant sense that nobody's clothes belong to them. And there was always this giving. Nobody's toys belong to them. This is, you just didn't have that sense of this is mine. But I, I think that was my mother's energy, natural energy, that everything we owned, anything we had belonged to everybody. My father was not like that. He was absolutely clear that this is your stuff, and this is your stuff, and this is your stuff. And I can remember the tension that would come in our house because I'm thinking Deborah's stuff is my stuff, and Deborah is thinking her stuff is her stuff. And this sense of ownership has a lot to do with why we have so many difficulties in the world. Because we have this sense of uh, something belongs to me. It's, it has a lot to do with how the indigenous communities around the world had so much property or so much stuff taken from them. Because they didn't have a sense of ownership. I got own the earth. They kind of thought that was kind of foolish. But once you have that sense of ownership and the colonies would come in and own land then they get to keep you from coming on it. And all of the means to protect and take and take and take begins to show up. And so in this word chaga, we are learning how to let go of this concretized sense of ownership. It doesn't necessarily mean I got to give everything that's mine away to everybody else. It's more of an attitude that you begin to loosen some of the anger when things come and go in your life. Because in truth, in Dhamma, there's a gradual understanding of a not, of a, uh, Nietzsche that everything you own, every family member, everything that's beneficial to you, everything you believe in leaves, changes rearranges. And so if, if this, 
and Nietzsche is happening constantly, and you have a sense of this is mine, then you can see how you spend your life in loss and loss and loss and loss. And it's miserable to be in such a state of constant losing. But if you have a sense that there's a, that this word ownership or possession or what's mine is loosely held in a softer way, more subtler way, then as things begin to come and go the way the natural laws of the world are, then you can begin to see that this is just the letting go. This is just the time for something to be impermanent. It comes and it goes. And, and you have a easier way to move through a world that's constantly going to be um, taken from you. You're going to constantly deal with gain and loss, gain and loss, gain and loss. Then this third way that you can go even more subtle and you can begin to see this word upada is this verb that connected to every kind of loss, connected to every sense of possession, everything that we think of as mine, connected to that is this very negative energy when we don't have it when something happens to it and we lose it or somebody takes it or anything, we give it away. Even in the giving away, there's still a kind of an attachment to it. And what are you doing with it? My brother, he takes care of his stuff. I mean, electronics, he is like, I mean, he has the little vacuum cleaner and cleans up his keyboard and everything is so pristine. It looks brand new. So anytime he gets rid of some electronic, everybody in the family wants it because like you get this brand new thing. And he won't charge you money for it. He, he doesn't, you know, it's like, it's like a gift. Um, but, don't let him see that thing if you don't clean it up and keep it sparkly. If you are, if you're kind of loose with how you do things, you got to keep it on the down low because he does not tolerate it. He will come to your house and look for the stuff that he gave you to see what it looks like. Like he has tethered to it. So you have to be very, very careful, you know, like, clean up all his electronics when he comes around. And he'll just say little comments like, you know, if you keep that clean, it'll last longer. Or, <laughs> I think you should clean this more often, you know. You'd appreciate it more. Things like that, you know. He's just very particular. And once he buys something, he owns it. It's his forever. And so... That this kind of ownership, this last upadi is trying to help us free ourselves from that, this mental kind of uh, defilements or it's like a stain on the mind. Just think about it. You know, if you, you have to, if you give something out of pressure, 
or you give something out of obligation or guilt. You know, somebody guilts you into getting what you want, and you don't really want to give it to them, but you give it to them anyway, okay? The defilement of that gift in the mind stays long after you've let go of the gift. And that resentment festers in the mind. So this upada, upada is really, the upadi is really aimed at learning to give and not get swallowed up by the negative energies around it. Um, not try to give, or if you are receiving, try to receive with a gracious heart, with a stiller, more open-heartedness. And the more we can give out of this sense of um, open-heartedness, then the freer our energies become. So you can imagine if you don't have the, the, the hard negative energy around giving, you don't have the sense of ownership around it, and that you're learning to freely let go, you can see that all of that begins to change the nature of the way we live. So this is the part I, that's what I pretty much talked about last time, but this is what I want to bring in for today before we uh, take a break here. Because it's not really just about whether or not you're giving. There's something else going on here with these paramis. And this is why I want to give this quote that the, that His Holiness came up with, or the Holiness said, because he, it, this quote actually points to what it is that we're trying to do. It's not just whether or not we give. That, I mean, you give or you don't give. But there's an inner quality, there's an inner experience that we are having in every experience we have in our life. There is both an external experience and an internal experience. And the Buddha was less interested in the external experience, I think. He was mostly interested in your internal experience. And the more you begin to sense into what's happening to you internally, the more you will learn to unhook yourself from what he said was the cause of our dukkha, which is this clinging or grasping or trying to make life be the way we want it to be rather than the way it is. And so that clinging and that constantly striving to have things the way I want it is causing us a lot of internal mental strife. And that mental strife is what we're trying to loosen. In the external, though, we can begin to learn, using the external, we can begin to learn how to move through life kind of... Um, we have to set goals and... and, and move towards objectives. I, I don't know if I told this group here, but I went hiking one time and there are all these little kids on this really hard hike and I was whining all the way. My friends, they, they, I'm just, I don't like going up. 
And so they're, they're, they're all going up and, and I'm more like, oh my God, when is this going to end? Can we get to the top? And then I saw this, this lady with a whole bunch of kids and they were kind of whining like me. And so she says, okay, okay, let's just see. Where's our next objective? Can you see that tree right there? That's our objective. Can we just make it to the tree? Do you think you can make it to the tree? They were like, I think I can make it to the tree. They walked all the way up that hill. Objective after objective after objective. So now when I go hiking, I look for my next, next objective so I can stop whining so much. But this is sort of, we have to have that sense of there's an objective that we're going through in life. There's a, there's a, a desire, a wanting to be successful, to make money, to have nice things, nice apartment. You can see that there's a possibility that all of that might seem like a conflict to what it is this generosity is pointing to. I shouldn't have nothing. I don't own nothing. I don't want nothing. I'm just giving everything away. But it's not really like that. The external experience is to help us begin to see this tension on the internal. And you can begin to feel when you are sort of moving out of just giving freely and moving more into resentment, giving at an obligation. You can begin to feel when you're moving out of taking care of yourself and moving into more greed and holding on to. You can see when your giving is getting a little bit crazy because it's diluted and you're really trying to feed some sense of belonging and maybe they'll like me if I give more stuff. You can begin to feel that. This is the relationship we're trying to have and we're using the giving as a way to begin to feel into what is our true intention in this moment. Is it really to connect and share or is it to get something? Or am I doing it out of an obligation so people will look at me a certain way but really I don't want to give it? That kind of energy, that's what we're looking for. And it's this interplay between the internal and the external that we're beginning to watch. So last thing, in this act of giving, this internal, watching this internal, external, we are ultimately giving in the world two major things. One, we are giving the world a sense of fearlessness because ownership has some walls that go up, barriers. It automatically puts us in an us versus them kind of way. And we have to protect that which we own. So there's nothing wrong with protecting it, but it's making sure that you're protecting it out of a sense of non-harm and not protecting it out of the sense of this is mine. And so we do want to protect the things that we have um, because it just creates, lawlessness just creates harm. And so 
we want to both have this sense of fearlessness. What you were saying to people is, you don't have to be afraid of me. And my protection over how I live my life or what I do, it's not out of greed, hatred, and delusion. Uh, and we operate in this sense of being generous without causing additional harm. And the second thing that we're actually giving in this more universal, the more perfected our generosity becomes, is that we're giving the world Dhamma. We're giving the world an opportunity to see there is another way of living besides this kind of uh, greed, hatred, and deluded way. There is another way to move in the world. And that way that we move in the world, we actually can live in joy, in uh, open-heartedness, in abundance, in a world that is swimming in greed and hatred. And we don't have to live in that same way. And so you're giving the sense of Dhamma the stronger you become the more, I don't want to say stronger, the more centered and solid you become in knowing this inner, outer sense of generosity. So I'm just going to end here with this quote from His Holiness again. Now that we've had some time to reflect on this, what he says is, generosity is the most natural, it's not a forced thing, it's a natural outward expression, that's the external, of an inner attitude of compassion and kindness, loving kindness. So generosity is the most natural outward expression of an inner attitude of compassion and loving kindness. I think that's so beautiful. So, um, let's just let that sit for a moment. We'll just let it sit here. Okay, so we're going to take a break here, about five minutes or so, from bio and uh, and then some of you online, if you do not want to stay for the um, uh, breakout rooms, then uh, this would be the time. So I want to tell you a little bit about these, these uh, discussions, if I can. So I just gave you a talk, and that talk has it 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 comes into the mind both as learning something and it comes into the heart feeling something but where dhamma really grows because i hold this position of being a teacher so you're learning something from the teacher but where dhamma really begins to be impactful is when you sit across from another that you think is on the same place with you, 
me and you, we're the same. And you're talking about your own experience, your own understanding, your own relationship with it, and you're listening to the voice of another. Then it begins to be more than just something you're learning, but it becomes something that's part of a, a experience itself. And so that's what we want to do is take a few moments to share some experience with each other about how we feel, and it's all very different. And we just sort of listen to another person's experience in this open-heartedness. They listen to us, and there's a sense that you begin to see not just hearing the words that you have to learn, but you begin to feel into it a little bit more on a different level. And so that's what we're going to try a little bit here in these breakout groups. Um, I'm going to give you the questions now uh, so that when um, we come back, actually, no, we'll just come back, and then uh, whoever's doing the tech, don't send people in the room until we I actually give you the question, all right? So we'll come back and get into groups of three uh, Four if you have to, but try to do three. All right, I'll just ring the bell in about five minutes. Alrighty, how are we doing in here? Doing okay? Uh, Bob, do you have the groups kind of set up for your little peeps there online? Okay, good. Alright, so this is, I, I like to, I like to offer three questions or three ways to frame this. And you're free to, um, uh, you're free to answer any one of these. So you may not all necessarily be talking about the exact same thing, but you're all going to be hearing it uh, in a similar way. So we'll take turns and um, give each person, we'll, we'll do, um, I guess, about 15, no, probably we'll go to about 835. Um and uh, that should give everybody enough time. So first, let everybody go for about maybe three minutes each, and you can kind of time yourselves. And then uh, whatever time is left, you can just openly share with uh, whatever you've kind of, you feel into as the conversation has grown. But first, give everybody an opportunity to share and speak individually um, for about three minutes each. So here's what I'd like you to consider sharing. So first, uh, two are similar. How does it feel to give out of pressure or obligation? If there's ever been a time when you had to give, when you felt like you were being pressured to give or out of obligation, how did that feel? You can kind of describe the situation if you want. 
And then like, and then similarly, how does it feel to give out of joy freely? You know, when you've given something just freely, um, just because you wanted to, and there's a joy to it. How does that feel? And you can talk about that as a situation, uh, maybe the experience of it. And then this third question is a little different. It's more on the receiving end. And maybe you could share a time when you benefited from someone's gift, but you didn't really think you earned it. You didn't really think, I mean, somebody just gave you something freely and you benefited from it and you appreciated it, but it was sort of like um, you didn't do anything to earn it. It was just given to you as Donna, as a gift. And so those are the three things. You can pick either one or um, you may not be able to talk about all of them during your first three minutes, but kind of share with the group and let each person talk and then, um, and then we'll come back at uh, 8.35. All right? Great. Thank you so much. All right, um, great. So we'll see if anybody has anything they'd like to share, or you can just share what you shared in the group, or you can ask a question, or keep it simple, whatever kind of is alive for you. Do you think it's, you know, I would like to know, do you think it's, does it feel more alive, this talking about generosity when you're in the groups, than when you are, uh, just sitting here listening to me talk about it. Isn't it more alive that way? I think, you know, I, I mean, there's a way in which we just like, oh, I don't want to talk in a group. But somehow the whole thing comes alive when you're in a small little group. It's not even that long, but still, it's difficult. Lisa, can you share? Um, I uh, answered, um, I responded to the third question. Mm -hmm. um, sharing a time when you benefited from someone's gift um, that you didn't um, earn. And um, I explained that I suffer from a severe chronic illness and I am on social security disability. I have very little money, not enough money to live on. And so I have had um, the place that I live is rented to me by friends and they rent it to me four or $500 less than market rent because that's all I can afford. So they're basically providing me a place to live and subsidizing my rent. Okay. Um, my mother provides some, a small amount of financial support and other friends in the past have helped pay for medical bills. And um, last year, uh, this incredible gift was given to me. Um, my One of my best friends, Gail, her mother sent me a monetary gift last year. Um, she sent me two monetary gifts for a total of um, uh, $1,700. Um, I've never met Gail's mother, right? Yep. She only knows of me through Gail. She doesn't know me. And yep. she gave me this gift. And at the beginning of this year, she gave me another monetary gift. And I would just, I, I have no way of ever repaying any of this generosity. 
right? You're not supposed I, to repay it. That's the whole point. <laughs> it's supposed to it's supposed to lift our spirits if we begin to see that not everything is transactional. That some things just come in the world through this act of generosity and that that is the inherent that is the inherent relationship it is an act of generosity if we didn't feel that if we don't ever connect with that then we don't realize that there isn't this uh transactional relationship in generosity it can just arise out of circumstances and that's what it is just arises out of circumstances nothing you said would come your way if you did not have the chronic illness. So in some respects, that chronic illness is part and parcel of the circumstances that give rise to the generosity. Yes. Mm -hmm. Good. Thank you. Yeah, Ellie. So uh, at Rodney's uh, workshop yesterday, he spoke of something that just kind of blew the top of my head off. And it was that, um, when we, we, we do mindfulness to see that we're all molecularly, cellularly connected. And then when we give generously or we, we give out, it's because we're all connected, not because I'm giving something to you, you being the other. That's and right. so it's just another way of saying it. And then the other thing I wanted to say, and you, if you want to comment on that deeper, I can't say it, is, um, uh, the you know um, another Buddhist thing says the mystic law of cause and effect, and so sometimes the cause and effect that we do is mystic. We don't know when and how it's going to arise. Yeah. So, thank you. Yeah, thank you. I mean, this is what uh, this is why I think that the generosity is held in this larger framing of fearlessness or non-harm and dharma that that we think in our ordinary sense as we're going through life, we think life really is about greed and hatred. It's about this pushing and pulling and getting mine and protecting mine. And, and what we're pointing to is there is a completely different way to move through the world. It, we do not have to move through the world through greed and hatred, even though it feels like that is the way that we have to move through. And I don't mean that the opposite of greed and hatred is some kind of weak, wimpy kind of, you know, I don't know. It just feels like sometimes this uh, open-heartedness is treated like it's somehow... It doesn't have any power to it. It's it's kind of um, it's the weaker or the uh, softer side, or maybe that's just my mind, but <laughs> could be. But it's not. It's actually a much more powerful energy to move through the world in this open-hearted, generous way. That's why the perfections. Uh, create the possibility of awakening because within those 10 framings, when they are perfected, your entire existence, uh, changes. And so this is, yeah, I think you're pointing to this understanding 
of moving through the world with a generous heart is quite different than moving through the world otherwise. I'll see if there's someone in the hall that wants to share. Yeah. When I first started at Sims, I spent a lot of time complaining about my relationship and and my partner having Parkinson's and and just you know what a burden that was and um, in the last year or so, and this has been going on for you know how many years since 2016 mm -hmm. um, and in the last year and it, and it was horrible and I'm, I'm surprised that we are still together you know after all you know you know a lot about this um, in the last you know few months year it's really really changed and I'm not feeling that resentment the way mm -hmm. that I was and and now and I was I was talking about this with with uh, with Ken and Nate and it's it's like now when I make the bed and I do the laundry and I cook, it's, it's from a joyful place. Mm -hmm. And, and when I, and, and my relationship is, it's like it's brand new in a way. And, and I just, you know, I'm thankful that we're still together because yeah. we shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah. It was a really, really, really hard few years there. And, uh, so. Yeah, but so that's also, what came up for me. Yeah. yeah, that's sweet because you can see that what changed was your inner attitude, not the outer conditions. That's still very difficult yeah, and you still have yeah. a lot to do. But when our inner attitude changes, then uh, we move through the world differently. And we use the outer acts like you're describing of making the bed and making dinner and all the things you do for her, that that outer condition has been helping you see um, how you are, um, what your inner attitude is around it. So as you begin to unhook yourself from all the uh, defilements, like upada, uh, upadi and uh, uh, chaga, then you begin to see that your act of doing something, giving, actually is based out of kindness and care. It is. And, and the joy also comes from knowing that I'm no longer doing harm. That's right. At least not today. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> we'll see if somebody else from the hall here wants to share. Jean. Well, just keep it up, you guys. Pretty soon, we'll be downstairs. We won't have to do all this. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah, me either. <laughs> I invited people to come back last week. <laughs> so I don't know where this story is coming from exactly and where it's going. I like rocks. I love walking on the beach and picking up rocks. I'm guilty of stealing from the national park. <laughs> um, and I carried this rock, one of hundreds, home. And it's a very soft rock that you can find in the state of Washington on our beaches. Um, and you'll find perfect holes drilled through it by some sea creature. I have no idea. One day I'm working in the yard out front and a mom 
and her daughter come by, and I offer her this rock. They disappear. Last summer, uh, I had uh, to undergo uh, proton therapy radiation treatment, mm -hmm. and it's every day, uh, it's five days a week for like 33 days. About day 27, 30, something like that, I walk out onto the front porch and there's someone coming down the sidewalk and I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't, I don't want to make eye contact. I don't, we're the only two moving human bodies in this block. And she came, this, this woman came down the sidewalk and I just kept looking away and <laughs> trying to ignore her. And she said, I think you gave my daughter a rock with a hole in it. And I wanted you to know that we looked it up online and found out that, I've forgotten now whether it's uh, the Scottish or the Irish people believe that if you look through that hole, you can see the fairies. <laughs> and that woman lifted me, her story lifted me from out of the depths of despair yeah. into a whole new place in my life. And I found out that little girl is now 12 years old and she's forgotten the rock and forgotten me and that's insignificant yeah. because what I gave was nothing compared to what I got back. That's right. That's right. That's quite beautiful, Jean. And, and that whole, the lift, I mean, the looking into the hole to see the fairies, that's it, you know, because something that seemingly is insignificant for that child, the fact that they looked it up, you know she was looking in that hole. She was looking, trying her best to see it. So you actually lifted her up. And this is also, you can you hear the intertwining of mudita in here? That there's this free offering of, of, of joy that comes and this exchange for, of joy. This is what, I mean, part of, part of generosity is tied to mudita because it is this uh, taking joy in another person's good fortune. So this kind of, I call it taking joy in another person's joy. You're borrowing someone else's joy. But that's what happened. That's what you did. You didn't have joy in your own state in that moment. You couldn't even generate your own joy. But when she shared the joy of her daughter, that's what lifted you up, was, your, was the sharing of that joy. That's why the Buddha said we cultivate learning how to take the joy of another, have sympathy with the joy of another's good fortune. Well, I wish uh, that could happen for me every day. I know, and me I really too. Wish it happened well, for everyone in this room. Actually, it can. I'm going to give you the secret teaching. All you have to do is remember that story. That's it. Because every time you think about it, you'll remember that joy. So it, you probably haven't shared that for a long time. But then when it comes up, you remember the joy as if it happened yesterday. Oh, there's a secret. <laughs>
All right, I'll see if there's one more. If not, we will begin to call it a quit. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, thank you. Aren't you new? Yeah. Look at you. It knows. <laughs> so I'm, I don't know anything about this, but my sense of when we talked about the joy of giving, how that makes you feel. And, and there's a sense sometimes, I think, at least in my world, like I'm better than if I give. And, and I realized at some point in my life, and I don't know when it was, was that I'm giving a gift if I receive it. And that, that, that whole circle is really, um, a beautiful thing. It's like, yeah, let me give this to you because you're giving back. Yes, <laughs> I mean, right. that's not elegantly put, but that's no, no, no. That's exactly it. That's it's it's tumbling into that flow because the other flow is stingy, stingy, stingy. But if we tumble into this flow where there's a giving and receiving, we actually can see how much other people give to us, even if it's simple as just holding the door for us. Uh, it's very simple. It doesn't have to be some major thing, but you can tumble into that flow and something about that flow rejuvenates our spirit to keep going. I love that thought of tumble. That's mm -hmm. lovely. Yeah. That's nice. Good. All right, well, I think that's it. Thank you all for coming. I appreciate you. I guess we'll just send some merit out into the world to all beings. Uh, may they benefit from whatever efforts we've done here tonight, and may the whole world benefit. Um, all right? So thank you all for coming. Bye-bye.